Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Acorn Grove. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. Yeah, I this is going to be a fun conversation and one that Mary and I have had, I don't know, 4 billion times with clients oh. over the last 15 years. But it, it really centers around this idea of who, where are you getting your advice and is the advice appropriate for where you are? Right. A lot of the times that we we have these conversations, it's like, hey, I I should always do this or I should never do this. And it's like, okay, yeah, but where where did you get that information and who is saying always and never? And is that right. does that actually apply to you? And so as we jump into this, one of the sort of games that we've played a million times is how much income do you make and where do you fit in the in sort of the US population? Like where where is your income in relation to everyone else around you? And I, I think this is such a fun conversation too, because um, it it's not about just what the numbers are, it's about what they're going to do. And I feel like wealth is so frequently measured in terms of net worth that you right. can look at where you fall in terms of net worth and determine what part of the population you're in. But the conversation that we like to have is around income. So I love right. this because it's consistent with the way we think about things, which is income and income generation. And, and I think that the key part of this here to me about understanding where you fall in the spectrum is that sometimes we stop listening to certain people or we start yeah. listening to certain people because of where we think we fall in that spectrum. And what you believe is possible is what's possible. Um, you know, it, I think there's an yeah. old saying and I can't remember who said it, but it's, if you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. Henry Ford. Yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. And so this idea of understanding and, and maybe even shifting the way you think about yourself or your household is key because, you know, if you feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're going to make very different choices than if you feel like you have a real possibility of becoming truly wealthy. Well, and one of the things I'm that I found over the years in doing this and playing this game with people is most of the people playing this game are at very, very wealthy levels. And yet no money, I no one I've ever talked to playing this game says, man, we've got more money than we know what to do with. Like right. we are, we are just sitting on Brewster's millions. We've got cash sitting around. And it's like, yeah, but by all available measures, you're in the top whatever percent. Like you're in the top five, 10, 15%. But everyone I know that's having that conversation feels like it's tight and right. they're having to make hard choices. And even if they're like, oh, it's really comfortable, they aren't necessarily saying like I am the elite, right? I mean, it's right. uh it, it's uh, And it's not that we don't talk to those people that know that they are. It's that no matter what wealth echelon you end up in, you surround yourself with people who look a lot like you. And so you begin to think that your level is normal compared to what it might actually be. Right, right. Well, and I think when it comes to advisors, it goes back to the, was it Joseph Campbell? You're the average of the five people you hang around with most. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to advisors and advice and what you let in, you're the average of the five things that you read most often and, and the, the information that you're pulling in because they're they're pulling you into that level, wherever that level is. And so well, I think and, and I think the thing that's interesting about that is that, you know, it goes back to something that we say a lot, which is if the if the, if you're following conventional advice, you're taking advice that's designed to keep you from going broke. 
Mm -hmm. as opposed to advice that is designed to help you become truly wealthy. And I think when you look at like the broad population spectrum and you're looking at, you know, taking advice that's, if, if it's really geared towards people who are in the bottom half of income and you're in the top 10 or 15% of all income earners, you should be pursuing different strategies. And, and that seems to be absent from a lot of the conversations about wealth. It's either here's what the really wealthy do and people opt out of that because they don't think that's a possibility for them or they choose something that keeps them in the space that they're in as opposed to growing into those next levels. Well, because the advice may have been appropriate five years ago for you. Right. right. It just and may that, not be appropriate there, now. there seems to be like almost a sort of loyalty. And, and I'll give an example of that, right? And, and we'll do this without naming names, but definitely in the world of financial gurus or financial talking heads that are out there on radio shows or TV shows or podcasts talking about wealth and money, um, you know, the, the advice that is going to be given to somebody who is trying to figure out how to take a paycheck where everything is tight and live a meaningful life where they get to cover all of their bills and, and you know, grow a, a little cushion for themselves. That's very different than if you have disposable income. And right. I know plenty of people who are making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that would argue that they don't have disposable income. But the reality is that, you know, they do. And so it's a different tax bracket. It's a different, um, it's a different degree of flexibility from a budgeting perspective. There are right. just different choices to be made. And so I think understanding all of that is key because if you don't have context for whether the advice applies to you or not, then right. everything might seem relevant or nothing at all. Well, and I think you you hit on something, and then I want to play the game since we keep teasing it, and then we don't get to the oh, right. game. But I, but I want to hit on something you said is I I think the problem that we have is we have a lack of attention. Like there's only so many things I can focus on in a moment, mm -hmm. and and in a day and in a week. And I think part of the mission for every brain and every every individual out there trying to figure out the information is it's not that we don't have enough information; it's we have too much information. Right. And we need a really simple way to filter out the information that's not relevant for us mm -hmm. so that we can only focus on the small subset of data that's actually good for us. And right. I think knowing where you live allows you to go, yep, that data is for somebody else. That data is for somebody else. This data is relevant for me. Now I'll let it in. And well, and I'm just going to say, so I got the biggest compliment this past week. Um, and, and I'm going to share this because it was about you too. So, um, we, so I was at a conference this last week, an educational yeah. conference with probably about 300 advisors from across the country. And, um, and I had the opportunity to get to speak on stage and, um, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, I, I listen to you and Eric every week. Oh, nice. And, um, and, and it's an advisor. And he said, you know, what's really beautiful about the two of you is that it's a conversation. And, and he said, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and a lot of these financial pundits are very like shame-based um, where they're sure. sort of like black and white. And if you do this, you're good. And if you don't do this, you're bad. And it's very aggressive. 
And he was like, the beautiful thing about your podcast is I always just feel like I'm sitting around with friends and we're having a conversation and it makes the information so easy to digest. And, um, you know, I couple that with, um, I had a client who told me that she feels like this is, this is the one place that she goes where she feels like she's getting truly objective advice as opposed to being sold a specific way of doing things. And I think this plays into that because it should give you more context to figure out, am I actually doing this in a way that works for my family? Because newsflash, right? I mean, there is no exact one way to do things and say, this is it. This is the only way you can do it. It's, It's all about the context of your situation. And as your situation evolves, so should the advice you're taking. Yeah. And, and your goals may be different, right? I mean, one of my, and this came from your friend, Jennifer, uh, whose scorecard are you playing? Right. Like what, and what, what's your mission? What's your version of success? And it may not be billions of dollars. Who cares? Like that's not everyone defines their scorecard. I think frequently by. it's not. No, but we think it is because that's all we see. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, you know, one of the people that we used to work with that uh, that was helping us sort of understand long-term care in a better way, he says the problem with long-term care, and I think this is with wealth too, is he's like, you know, there's on the news every week there's some house that burns down or somebody's in a car wreck or something is going on. So we're like, man, I don't want to have that. I'm going to rush out and buy home insurance and car insurance, and part of it is the state and the banks require it, but we're going to go do it because that's what's in the news, right? And he always said it's so funny. Nobody ever films grandma going into the nursing home, yet that happens millions and millions and millions of times a year, And but we don't see it. And so we think, well, I don't need that protection, right? Well, it's not sensational. Well, it's not sensational, right? But when you look at sort of- It's just sad. It's just sad, right? But when you look at sort of, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, it's all the sexy stuff. It's we went on this trip and we went and did this thing and we- we had this really great life and they're like, man, I want that. But they don't like peer into the family. They don't peer into your game night on a Tuesday that costs $0 to go do and the connections, right? It's Or to figure out if your family's actually happy, even when they're going on all those trips or whether the trips are to escape your daily life because you're actually not happy at all. You know, I mean, I I actually, I'm going to take this conversation in a different direction here for just a second. I swear we're going to get to the game. We'll see. (laughs) Right. We'll see. Uh, No, I think, uh, I think this is key. I mean, Mike and I had this conversation just this morning, you know, I I woke up and I had a rough night last night. I was awake at like three in the morning up for two hours. And that's very normal for me. I'm up and something triggers my brain and I start thinking about it. And I was thinking a lot about, oh my gosh, this is where you should be in your life, Mary. And this is what you, where you should be, right? What my therapist calls shooting on myself. Um, And I I think it's interesting because I kind of caught myself mid train of going down this path. And, you know, I've, I've been very successful. It's not like there's a lot of lack in my life and really any space. And The thing that I found is, you know, I started thinking about how are my choices today different than the choices that I made in my 20s? Because when I think about like buying my first property, I didn't buy my property so that people would be impressed by me in my 20s. That didn't even enter the equation. Like it it was never even part of the thought process. I bought the property because 
that's what I wanted to do because I wanted to move forward and I wanted to get to a place where I had like passive income coming in and get to financial freedom. And I, I think about the car I drove and I think about all these different choices that I made and they were all about my own scorecard. And, and you're supposed to care less about what people think as you get older but what I have found is because there was no social media when I right. was younger, or at least it had not caught on. I mean, there was like MySpace and Facebook was just becoming a thing. Um, I didn't have FOMO, right? I mean, it was just, I'm doing this thing over here and I'm weird because no one else is doing this, but that's okay because I'm doing it for myself. And then I think about some of the things and choices and decisions that get made now. And I think all of us think about how other people are going to perceive our choices to some degree or another. Right. And I think being able to, to get a real grasp on what's happening as opposed to the social media highlight reel is helpful because then you can start making the decisions on your own scorecard based on the actual context, not what you think is happening. Right. And then, and then because you know what's happening, you will know what to do. And if just that little bit of knowledge begins to have you rethinking what is possible for your life, then I feel like we've, we've done something good. We've put something good into the world. <laughs> and, and being honest with yourself about what, what not turns you on, that's a different thing, but like, what sort of motivates <laughs> you? Like what, what sort of gets you that's excited? Different? I don't know. Yeah, just in a less skeezy way, maybe. I don't know. All right, well, let's play the game. Dangerous uh, territory. Moving on. Yeah, I'm, I'm diverting left again. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna show. I'm gonna show screen here uh, for those of you on YouTube. But if you're uh, if you're listening, we'll explain it. So what what this game is, and again, we've played this game four million times. But it is, what does it take to be in the top fifty percent, twenty five, ten, five, and one percent of all wage earners in the U.S. And this is household income. Right. So uh, whether you're a single earner or a dual income household or married and, you know, filing jointly, this is by household unit. So it could be, right. you know, a couple where they both work and they have 17 kids, or it could be a single person in their 20s. So the age is not a context of this at all. Right. Um, it is just by household. Yeah. Yeah, how much how much cash is rolling in the front door? So and if you're so, driving and you don't have a place to write this down, just think about it. We're going right. to pause for effect here as we ask these questions. Uh, but I think this context is important. And you know, if you're sitting there and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to get my phone and Google the answer so I get it right," that is not the purpose of this. What you should be looking for as we go through these questions is your initial gut reaction. Right. That's what we're checking for is not like logically when you think through it, you can get to the right conclusion. It is when we ask the question, the first number that pops into your head is the number that is truest to the way you actually perceive where you fit. Right. And so what we'll do is I want to walk through each of these because it'll help you with sort of thinking through the striations of of income because it'll help you kind of put that in context. But so as you're sort of, as you're driving, as you're sitting at your computer, wherever you are for household income, how much do you need to earn as a household to be in the top 50% of all wage earners? And this is in the U S not the world. And this is by year. And by again, year. this is income, not net worth. Correct. 
So top 50%, meaning half the people make less than you, half the people make more than you. Right, half the household. Uh, and then next one up will be 25%. So, you know, half as much, right? We've we've necked down to, to 25% now. So 25% or 75% of the people in the US make less than this amount. Uh, and then the next one is 10%. So you you are in the top, the top 10%. 90% of the people make less than than you in this moment. And then having it again, go from 10 to 5%. So what does it take to be in the 5% of all wage earners in the US? So 95% of the people make less. And then the last one would be 1%. That, man, we all want to be in the 1%. It's amazing we want to be in that spot. Or maybe. So when you think about that 1%, that's going to include like, I don't know, Kylie Jenner. Taylor Swift, right? Uh, Mark Cuban, Oprah right. Winfrey. I don't know. I mean, you start looking at this, this 1% number is the number that gets talked about in the news all the time. Right. Um, and so make sure you give some thought to that part as well. Right. So I'm going to go well, from the bottom up. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to be in the 50% the mark, right? If you think about half of the US households make less than this, half make more than this, the actual number, and this is according to the IRS data from what, Eric, from 2020? From 2020. Um, because that is the most recent data that is sort of pulled together and then put out for public consumption. Right. Um, the income level that puts you right at that 50%, so this is the median, essentially, right. is 42184 so half of the households earn more than that in the United States and half of the households earn less than that. And and the interesting context here that I think may help is that's the US. That's not That's not globally. About. Well, that's not globally, but it's also not New York. It's New York, it's Nebraska, it's West Virginia, it's California, it's Texas, right? This is all of the US is the mm -hmm. average. Right. So we're not telling you whether the 42 grand would buy a cheeseburger or uh, a house, but the income is 42 grand. Right. And to be in the top 25%, that starts at 85,853. So if you, if, if your household earns more than 85,853, you are in the top 25% of all households in the United States. And I think this number is really key because this is the beginning of the ability to have real wealth over a lifetime. Yeah. And that is, it's not to say you can't do it if your income is lower than that. Absolutely, you can. You have to be very creative and very strategic about what you're doing. But once you get above that 85,000 of household income, you're in the top 25% of the entire country. Yeah. And, and to the point that I made earlier, I want to hit it again. I've met a lot of people that are earning, you know, $85,000, $86,000. And none of them would say, man, we are in the top quartile of all wage earners in the US. We're killing this thing. We right. got money rolling out of our ears. Like we're buying Maseratis every weekend. Life is grand. Like they're all feeling the pinch. Right. So, all right, top 10%. So this is the the top, the top 10th. 90% uh, of the people are making less than this. 152,321. So if you're making by household upwards of 150,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of all households across the entirety of the United States. 
And I will tell you from being in this business really and talking to people about money for the past 20 years is that when people are making 152, I rarely hear them say, dang, I feel like I am just king of the mountain. Like I am blowing it out of the water. I have cash left and right. I can buy whatever I want. Those are not words that I usually hear when I am talking to somebody who's making 152, unless they're just out of college and they don't have any other obligations yet. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a client and his son, who's also my client, is uh, he works for the Merchant Marine. So he's sort of part-time Navy, part-time Merchant Marine. So he doesn't own a house. He doesn't Mm. have any kids. He doesn't have any expenses. He's on a boat for nine months, 10 months out of the year, right? Living in a cot somewhere. And he's making probably about that. That guy feels wealthy. Sure he does. I'm like, I got this thing. We've got this nailed down. It's all discretionary. That's why there's no obligations. (laughs) He's the one guy I've met that has that problem. All right. Top 5%. 220,521. So to be in the top 5%, if your income's above 220, you earn more than 95% of the population. Which. Pat yourself on the back. You're killing it. You're killing it. Right. But again, I've met a lot of people making 220 and none of them feel. They're, they're making hard choices every week. Now, yeah, they're especially, less hard choices, but... Especially here in Dallas. I feel like there's... Uh, you look around and you feel like everybody's earning more than that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But... but that, And I think there's a there's a sense that... What is it? What's the... Is it a song? More Money, More Problems? What I don't remember what uh-huh. the... Yeah, it's Biggie. More Money, More Problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it, but I think there's a certain amount of that that sort of creeps in. What I would call sort of the lifestyle creep. Right, because yeah. they probably made not that long ago 150, and they're mm-hmm. sort of moving into that that mode of making 220. What's well, really easy for lifestyle to kind of sort of edge in, like, look, we're we're just gonna go out. Like, yeah, that car's only 20 grand more than that other car. You know, that's like 40 bucks a month. It's not that you know that a lot of these things just sort of creep out. Like, there's this sort of weird inflation that happens, and then they look up and they're like, why aren't we saving any more money? And it's like, well. Lifestyle got you, right? You found other things, right? Yeah, There's other yeah. things to spend money on. Yeah, so super comfortable. And I think that's part of where social media makes things so hard because you feel like you need to be Instagram ready all the time and throw these amazing birthday parties for your children and take these trips that are just unbelievable um, because nobody is like, you know, taking a picture and posting on social media about their fancy stay at La Quinta. But like, I like La Quinta. They, they allow dogs, right? I mean- Right. I I think that's the hard part is that when you are trying to put up an image of what you think success is supposed to look like, I think it's very difficult to actually feel like you're moving forward from a wealth perspective. On the meaningful things, right? And the great thing about La Quinta is that it's right next to Denny's. And so like you get a grandson breakfast in the morning, life is good. So, all right. Also, none of this was paid. So congratulations, Lakinda and Denny's. You got free advertising. (laughs) All right, 1%. Okay, so the top 1% of all households in the US, the earnings start at 548,336. So 99% of the households in the United States make less than 548,336. And I think this number is interesting because sometimes people nail it when we go through this and they just kind of know roughly what that number is. But a lot of times people think the top 1% starts at millions. 
Or we even one time had a client say, in order to be in the top 1%, you had to make a billion. And I think she was thinking net worth instead of income. But but it is interesting because that number is frequently lower than people expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that the average on the high end of those averages, I always heard things like, oh, it's got to be like 5 million a year, 6 million a year to get into Mm -hmm. that spot. I'm like, well, you're, you're off by about 10. 10%, 10%, or, you know, 10x. factor of 10. Right? You're off by 10x. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is important to know here because once you see these, you may you may reevaluate what's possible for you. And most right. of the time when we play this game, part of the reason we play it is that we're sitting across the table from somebody who has the real possibility of becoming truly wealthy during their lifetime and they don't believe that's possible because their lifestyle already feels tight. Right. I'm like, hey, we really should be saving 20% of your income is a conversation that is sort of a regular conversation. And they're like, 20%? Are you kidding? Like, I don't know how we're going to go do that. And it's like, right. well, you're making 220. So it's you possible. Can. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's just hard, right? And and I think that to your point, right? What is it? The Is it? Uh, gosh, I forgot who had the quote, uh, maybe Gandhi or somebody, or I don't know, uh, to to a man that has a big enough how and big enough why anyhow is possible, or I, I'm butchering that quote, and I think it's not Gandhi or anybody like that. But like if, if your mission, if you're strong enough in your mission, you know what your scorecard looks like, and you know what you're trying to go achieve, all sorts of things are possible. And it's just a matter of being slightly more strategic with it. And the interesting part of this, and I don't want to get into a political argument or a kind of conversation or discussion, but from a data standpoint, and I don't know if you guys can see that, but we'll explain it. But if you look at the taxes paid from the top 1%, that that top 1% of all wage earners are paying about 42% of all the taxes collected in the U.S., which I think now, the U.S. actually has one of the most progressive tax systems in the entire world, meaning that that as a an overall percentage of taxes collected, most of the taxes are collected from earners that are at the higher ends of the spectrum. Right. And so if you go down even to just the top five, so including the top one, so total of the top five, the top five percent are paying 62.74 percent, so almost almost 63% of all the taxes collected. And really, even at the top- Wait, 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 Eric, before you move on to the next number, I think there's probably going to be some people that are like 42 plus 62 doesn't add up to 100. It's not meant to, because the 62% includes the top 1%, which is 42 of that. So if you kind of look at the gap, the next 20% of the taxes being collected are that two to 4% income earner range. So when you put it all together so that we're including the top 1% in the 5% number, it's 62.74. Right, right. And to that end, when you go down to 10%, that includes you know the top 10% of all wage earners, all households income. Uh, so the 1% all the way to the 10, they're paying just a shade under 74% of all the taxes. Yeah. And I I think that's such an interesting number because what it says is for the people who are really attempting to build like true wealth, possibly even generational wealth, they are carrying the lion's share of the burden. And this is where tax efficiencies become really important. And to be very, very clear on this, this doesn't necessarily mean deferrals. 
right? right? People say I'm saving in taxes because I'm putting it into a retirement account. You're really just deferring when you pay them. And so having context of whether you're in the top 1% or even in the top 10 or even in the top 25 should influence that strategy. It does not make sense for everyone to defer taxes, even though people say defer first, then do Roth second, then do whatever. And right. they'll build this hierarchy that's just the way you approach it. I'm going to argue that your tax strategy and how you choose to either pay or defer taxes should be largely dependent on where you fall in the income spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that context is key. And, and it goes back to that concept that you and I have talked about a hundred times now is there there's so many times that we look at a tax problem and we're myopically focused on the tax problem and we twist ourselves into knots and we come up with all these sort of convoluted sort of strategies and cool things that we're going to go do and we're going to move this around and then we got to put our hands on our head and run around in a circle and then hop on one foot and we're going to do these things just so that we can avoid a, a buck of taxes or do this thing or or find this loophole. And we've sort of missed the the broader mission of my job is to build wealth and right. my job is to build maximum income. The taxes are a part of that. And according to these data points, especially if you're in the part. top 10%, right, is a big component of it. But don't don't forget the bigger mission when you're looking at the tax piece. Don't make a tax decision that destroys wealth. Well, and I think it's really important to have your CPA and your advisor have conversations together Absolutely. because they're measured on very different things. Your advisor yeah. is measured on the amount of wealth they create over time, and your CPA is measured on the amount of taxes you don't pay this year. So there is a different context and timeline that right. they're looking at. And so if you're finding that your CPA and your advisor are offering advice that seems to be at odds, the best thing you can do is get them into a room so they can have a conversation about yeah. why they're making their recommendation. And then when, again, like this goes back to kind of the theme of today, when you have context for why they're making that recommendation, then it's much easier for you to make the decision that really makes the most sense for your family. Because if you think that you're going to do such a good job saving that your income is going to be higher by the time you retire, you might not want to wait and see what's going to happen to the changes in the tax brackets. I mean, depending on who ends up in office, and again, I'm going to stay away from political ramifications here, but depending on who ends up in office, there could be some uh, reversions to the older tax brackets. And when that, when or if that happens for people who are in that 10% to really that probably top 1%, the amount of taxes that they're going to end up paying could increase significantly. And right. so really understanding that deferring that we don't have control over what the tax brackets are gonna be. And so the decisions that you make need to keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to the last two data points here is if you're in the top 25%, right? And again, the top 25 includes all the previous brackets at this point. Meaning right? your that, household earns more than 85,000. Correct. Then that whole cohort, that whole top quartile of all the wage earners are paying a little over 88% of all the taxes, 88.5. And then if you, the really scary one to me is if you look at the top 50%, meaning Half the population in the U.S. makes less than this, half makes more. 
the top 50% of wage earners in the US are paying 97.68% of all the taxes, which means mm -hmm. roughly, right? I'm going to give 3% away here, but roughly half of the population in the US is not paying taxes. And again, I'm staying away from the political side of this. It's just, it's just a data point. But if we're looking at sort of debt, if we're looking at problems with where do we go get money to fund X, Y, and Z, like, uh, you know, you may not feel like you're wealthy, making 152 grand a year. You may not feel like you're in the top 10%, but there's a little under, underfunded organization called the IRS that says, hey, they might have some money that we can get. Right. right? So understand the context. Well, I think that's really key. And then, um, Eric, will you pull up just really quick? Uh, there was, I'm, I'm going to give Mike a shout out here. So Mike sent me an infographic uh, over, a lot, I think it was last week. And he said, I'm kind of obsessed with this. And this actually kind of put Eric and I on this whole rant yeah, as we that, started Mike. doing this. So <laughs> apparently we are too, but it's a map and it, it says, how much does it take to be in the top 1% in each U.S. state? So they actually took the same data that we just went over today and they broke it up by state. And then because it was from 2020, they basically added in inflation. And I think when we looked at it, it was roughly um, at about 6% over the past three right. years, which is right. commensurate to what we've seen as um uh, over the past couple of years with inflation. And so the yeah. average that they show here instead for the top 1%, instead of being that 550,000 rough number right. is about 650,000. But by state on the low end, it's about 368. And on the high end, it's what, about 950, 950? Yeah, 953, yeah. Yeah, but- um, And that's in Connecticut, know. for those of you who are wondering, which state is it 953? It's not the state you might've thought. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a, a lot of times really wealthy people from New York live live in Connecticut, right? I <laughs> mean, right. it's a it's a an easier way to do that, maybe. But I think this is a it's just such an interesting map to look at. So the number for Texas, where we are, is now about six hundred and thirty-two. So it'll be interesting to see if the data reflects that, because this is also based on adjusted gross income. It is not based on top line earnings. And so I right. think there's a little bit of fudge room kind of in and through that data, depending on what people are writing off, whether they're a W-2 salaried earner or, you know, whether they're a business owner that has a, a different tax strategy that enables them to do things a little bit differently. But I found this really fascinating just to see what parts of the country we're at sort of those higher echelons. And it seems to be kind of the, the Northeast and then the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. The flyover states or whatever you want to call that, right? They, they tend to be a little bit, uh, a little bit on the lower end compared to California at almost 845 and Connecticut at 953, right? You've, you've got some range in there, but then you have states like West Virginia that are 368, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's at a very different range. And so it's, it's just fascinating again, one layer down to that context level of not just where am I in the nation or where am I in the world, but where am I by the state, right? And, mm -hmm. and what does it take to be in that top 1% for where I live? Yeah. Um, and if you were trying to find this map so that you could actually see it, I think the website was what visualcapitalist.com. Yeah. And you could just search for, um, you know, how much is the top 1% by state? Um, and again, this is income, not net worth. 
which I like because that's what's determining lifestyle anyways. So hopefully you guys have found this to be informative. Maybe it was eye-opening for you. Maybe it just confirmed things that you already knew. Right. Yeah. Where can they find you on, uh, on social media there, Mary? Yeah. If you're looking for me, you can find me anywhere you social media at the wealth woman. Yeah. And I'm at economics with Eric, wherever you social media. I always have to think about it every single time because I never know. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. 